0: Welcome to this week's Made in Scotland podcast, sponsored by Ogilvy Ross. I'm Gary Robinson. This week's guest is Sandeep Salins. And, uh, Sandeep, we normally get formal biographies for the show. um, uh, And I've got your biography on my Blackberry. So if I may, just give a wee overview. Uh, Born in India... Uh, live in Perth here in Scotland. Married with five kids. Architect by profession. Coffee business owner. Keen cricketer. And finally, probably the most important uh, point of all:
1: uh, partial to sticky toffee pudding. Absolutely. Um am um, uh- I've discovered I'm diabetic, so I had a chance of loving life before I came to Scotland, you know, um, <laughs> and discovered sticky toffee pudding. You're a, you're a man <laughs> after my own heart. Um, l-
0: let's talk about uh, your your early days. Okay. Um, so from your from your uh, biography you kindly sent, you talked about growing up in India. Can
1: you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I grew up in, in central India. I'm uh, my, I'm youngest of four. My parents ran a medical charity. Uh, both were doctors. We worked in um, uh, leprosy, and I work was what they were involved with. Um, they were big into how do you serve a country and a nation. I went to school way south up in the mountains. Um, uh, went to boarding school there. Uh, loved it. Um, and and there was a great great balance because I probably went to school with some of the richest kids in in South India, and went home to have some of my best friends who were probably the poorest kids <laughs> in India and and that that was sort of a healthy balance of 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 life i suppose in life perspective um yes,
0: just just on yeah. that point how do you keep that balance it must be it, must be a little bit
1: overwhelming for a
0: young person do you think it
1: it wasn't because it, the reality is any person's life is is explored as they come across it you know they they have no perspective or or reference points it is their life you know um you know, whether people have lived in California or Uzbekistan, you know, it's their life. They, and so therefore, it wasn't a hard thing. But what it did allow you to develop was was when I look back at it now, um, it was that recognition that that the humanity is what's important, not the decoration, I suppose, of, of people's lives. And 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 that was always great, you know, because you didn't really approach people... Because of what they had, you approached them because of how good they were at cricket, you know, <laughs> or how good they were as as friends to you. Yeah? Um, and and that was that was and and being away from home as well. That was that was part of the journey as well, and and being able to cope, uh, I suppose, from young age of um, uh, living with your own, making your own friends, making an assessment of friends, you know, rather than just people being presented to you, um, knowing who you. Looked after, and some of my best friends are still people I gr- I grew up with. You know, where I'm so early forties now, but I still keep in touch regularly with with people I knew when I was, you know, seven, eight.
0: So, what brought you and I? Can I assume the family to Scotland?
1: Uh, well, it, it was just me. <laughs> I um, I won a scholarship uh, to study architecture in Dundee. I mean, uh, that's that was a uh, wasn't expecting that, um, and I always, I mean. Uh, Coming from a family of doctors, I just assumed I'd be a doctor. You know? And did your family? Um, and my family assumed I'd be a doctor. I've got six doctors in my family. Both my parents were doctors. Both my sisters are doctors. They were married doctors. It was just, yeah. Um, but I always had a passion for model making and creating stuff. And and um, my mom actually eventually once, sort of when I was... Probably thirteen, fourteen. When you know, why don't you think of engineering or architecture? You know, and I, I didn't really didn't know what it was in India. Everything was always functional. You were either a doctor, an engineer, or or a lawyer. You know, <laughs> there was just this functionality about how you were educated. Whereas um, my mom said, "No, try architecture," and it was really unheard of. It wasn't common, um, unusual to go into arts. And and so anyway, I applied, got to Dundee, and he was a culture shock. <laughs> that was, you know, good a, culture, a, bad a, culture shock. A, a different, you know, uh-huh. from everything you know of your world. Your your, your horizon broadens. Um, I, I I grew up speaking English. I mean, we both my parents are from two different parts of India, and they then settled in another part of India. So they decided that English would be the common language of the of the family. Um, my dad spoke about nine languages. Um, you know, mum about six. I speak about th- I speak three. Um, I had a multilingual dog that spoke, you know, understood six languages, I think, you know. Um so English was the commonality of it. So therefore, I suppose we were anglicized as we grew up and looking at the West. But then you come to the West and then you discover a different layer. You know, that isn't just the movie layer or the books layers. Um and Dundee was certainly in a difficult place at that time in the early nineties. Um and and I loved it, thrived it. I loved this. it treated me great as a city. Um as a university still very, very fond of it, the uh, its earthiness and, and and I settled into that space, you know, that saying, Okay, this is this is where I am. I'm six thousand miles away from home, I'm on my own. Um, that's when things like being at boarding School help, because that independence, that idea that you you make assessments for yourself of who who you like, who you don't like, who what do you want to get involved with, what do you don't not want to get involved, all those sort of things. Um There's a balance. I mean, I had had friends who didn't cope with that. People from Brotty Ferry or people from, you know, Edinburgh who being 20 miles away from home was too much for them. So, yeah. I want to take the,
0: because I want to move the the, the podcast along. So, I want to talk Mm -hmm. about the transition from architecture to coffee shop. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because we've, we've yeah, just, just <laughs> yeah. to give the listener a little bit of context yeah. about yeah. this, we met as strangers yeah. uh, in a car travelling to Edinburgh for a meeting and we got chatting uh, about the coffee shop and mm-hmm. and your philosophy on life and staff <laughs> and training and bringing young people through and I immediately thought this is somebody that needs to share the story, hence the podcast. So, uh, so tell me a little bit about the coffee shop, how it came about and where it's based.
1: Yeah, okay. Um uh the coffee shop's based in perth we have a second one in paisley that we've opened now We're, we've been running for three years just over three years um and uh that came i mean i i, I studied architecture in dundee qualified as an architect wanted to be an architect worked as an architect um, built a lot of lot of stuff in the dundee area perth area moved to perth and um i never ever expected to be in coffee <laughs> it wasn't part of it but I was involved in a lot of youth work and youth development um through both the church I'm involved with and just my passion about about youth anyway just um and we we came to realize what we wanted to get we we felt two things um a bunch of me and my friends one we we didn't have a place we'd want to go to like a coffee shop to hang out um and therefore we are like, what would that look like but also we wanted a space where 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 people could engage um both with each other, you know, this whole idea as pubs have been stripped out of our society, where is our communal spaces, where is... Uh, and these these all sort of fit into all the things that I'm probably passionate about. And um, we ended up with with coffee as one of the mechanisms of how do you create a, a communal hub in a town. And, and the reality is I never... This wasn't on my agenda at any point. And when I realised suddenly I'm doing architecture, I'm enjoying architecture, doing a lot of stuff there... To realize I've got to give that up and go, oh, I may be interested in something else was was a scary point. It wasn't it wasn't an easy decision, um, but it actually transpired as we as we developed the business that it being an architect actually provided almost virtually all the skill sets I needed in another environment um, about creativity, starting a new business, running. Um, uh, p- project managing a, a, a thing from a blank canvas, um, people management, um, uh, aesthetic management, all that. Sort of, so it transferred very easily. Uh, and now I'm in coffee, you know. Um. Uh, what really interested me in our initial conversation mm-hmm. was was the people
0: management. Mm-hmm. And the one of the, the main themes going through this series mm-hmm. of Made in Scotland is about leadership. Mm-hmm. And Unless I picked you up incorrectly, I don't mm-hmm. think I did. But uh, am I am I right in saying that everybody who works in your coffee shops gets the opportunity to run it?
1: Uh, yes, I mean basically the, the the philosophy of of the coffee shop is simply to create a, a nurturing environment that allows people to become the best they can be. Is I mean I mean that sounds a bit glib, but it's it's the reality is most places don't actually have that they have a process they have their career path or or uh, or we tell people that you've got to go to college to learn more and then when by learning more you become more skilled and therefore you become more useful but actually what what, what my, my my view is that it's about releasing in people um, an ability for them to explore both their passions and their desires in an in, in an area that that generates skill sets not knowledge you know, that allows, so the coffee shop, when we, when anyone comes in, we, our youngest is probably, it's, we take them from about 16 onwards, our our oldest is about 70. Um, and, and what we're saying is, come into a space and, and we will train you to either run or own one of these. Now, not everyone's going to be interested in coffee. The, the point isn't about owning a coffee shop. The point is that you'll be developed here, skills will be developed here of, of, um, that you're not being asked to in most other places. They're, they're stepping up into, uh, you know, um, being in charge of a shift. Even you know, for a 16 year old, the earliest we find in most professions is you're probably in your late 20s, early 30s before you're managing anybody else. And by then, you're pretty much either been there long enough, or people think, oh well, you must be responsible. And and you're actually not skilled to do it. And that's why most management fails because no one really actually is either trained or, secondly, experienced in doing that. And here we're saying, no, come in, learn how to take on the idea that you are influencing other people, um, you're both your behavior, your attitude, and, and your expectation. Um, and it isn't age-based. It isn't even experience-based. It's it's about your attitude. Um, and that's, that's the environment we're trying to create in the coffee shop, yeah. It's very interesting. I speak to quite a number of business people, as you can imagine,
0: and uh, enlightened uh, business owners say exactly that. In Mm -hmm. my view, which is, do you know what we can teach you the skills, but actually teaching the attitude is something that you need to bring. Mm -hmm. So, regardless of age, you talked about employees being from sixteen up to Mm -hmm. seventy. What and you you touched on it slightly there, but you know what attributes of leadership are you looking for in these people?
1: You know, it's. Leadership sometimes—I think there's there's a misnomer. Um, leadership is sometimes seen as as one the guy up front, you know, the girl up front who is, you know, uh, and lots of people respond. It's it's a scale thing. We 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 sublimely place a scale on it. And my attitude is that leadership is about influence. It's about you are a leader if you are influencing even one other person, and and so. It's not about influencing millions, you know, people sort of creating a scale of saying, Oh, you know, Steve Jobs, etc. Great, great influence of in the world. You know, your mother was probably the greatest leader you met. You know? It's it's the ability in people to recognize that their behavior and their attitudes and their choices can not just affect them, but affect others in a good way, in a positive way, in a direction. Um, sometimes it's negative, you know, because people are just poor poor leaders and and therefore you're still influencing the people. So uh, w- w- what I'm trying to get into, people, is saying, you're, you make choices, and in those choices, you, you factor in that others are involved in those choices. And, and therefore, if we're trying to get into a place, it's not about—most places tend to be objective-driven, and that's um, healthy. Um, but, but actually, what, what we're trying to say is, actually, the bigger issue, I find, is being purpose-driven, rather than objective. Because most businesses I think eventually, especially maybe older businesses, um, lose the, the the early aspiration. And they're because employees then go into process and they'll be told to maintain a machine that they don't even understand why it exists. And they do
0: it. So do you think businesses and those individuals individuals or those leaders need to almost reinvent themselves?
1: It do you know, it I, sometimes, sometimes that may be useful um, uh, to to reinvent, but I think it's more than that. I think if you create a culture that is looking to be intuitive and creating space for people to reapproach an issue, they'll the things that are worth it they'll hang on to, and the new things. I mean, it's it's interesting because even management, if you think about it, senior managers are what in their late thirties, early forties possibly, um, and then going into their fifties. They're holding on to both experiences, knowledge base, and um, uh, uh, sort of aspirations that are maybe about 20 years out of date. And yet they're employing people with a huge resource base that is being untapped. And I'm not saying it has to be a youth issue. This is not about youth. This is about looking at people saying, you know, I remember as an architect going around, sitting at a table saying, you know, no one person at this table, there was a big... Um, school project we work on has an has the monopoly on a good idea it's going to come out of someone here and we have to just create the space that allows you know in, in an architecture it's even the the, the 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 electrician who's just an apprentice to say why can't we do it this way and that thought has to be have an ability to come into the mainstream and say actually yeah that's doable um, not someone saying no i need to think of everything all the time and i think we 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 choke a lot of businesses because we're actually not tapping into what is sitting in front of us you know which is which is in the human resource and and by creating an at in a culture of that those ideas come out and that's what we found even then, that that like my menu i mean I, I was looking at the menu board recently um there's original menu that we we developed 3 years ago and it's probably doubled in, in its its additions. But the, the doubling has happened all from staff. Their suggestions. Their suggestions. You know, they're bringing, they're seeing the world from different places and saying, hey, I saw this and whatever, why didn't we try that? So right now, it's leaving it up to them and saying, okay, we'll test it, you know? Um, so... <laughs>
0: you know i'm 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 conscious that we've got yeah, no, time. You, you know i'd say to all my guests don't, don't keep going. Talk, i'm sorry um, no no don't don't apologize at all um sunday we, we we've talked there a little bit about your thoughts around leadership and the business mm-hmm. um i just want to go back to you as an individual now um we're trying to get our guests to be honest and mm-hmm. sometimes it can be a little bit raw as a mm-hmm. podcast um but i think that's where the where some of the real learnings are so yeah. would you would do you mind sharing an experience with us that took you to a dark place, and mm. and how did you battle it?
1: You know, the the when I look back at it, some of the toughest re- realizations um, have always been, have always been the redeeming places as well. So now you don't look at them as bad places because you think actually that helped me come into a good place. But if I was to think about it, coming to Dundee as a eighteen year old. Um, was 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 hard you know as much as i was confident it was my naivety that made me survive if i look back at it you know that, that i loved because i was thinking about that my first year in dundee i remember seeing my, my best friend got beaten up quite badly just a drunken brawl you know and and i'd uh, never seen that never come across that sort of violence i was like whoa and oh um I think we got moved three times, three flats. I think Avate had just come into being, so there was no flats in Dundee or something. And and three times we moved and, and suddenly I'm discovering sort of friends I I, I, I knew had would come across. So th- the biggest issue was loneliness. The idea that, that you are on your own, you know, that calling home was gonna cost you two pound a minute and you were a student, you couldn't afford it. There was um that that there was no backup. That that it is you and you you're writing letters, etc. And that that that's a tough space. And I think it's it's a common space. And the more I've discovered it, I mean, when I look at the coffee shop, part of the coffee is responding. I would suggest to my loneliness. You know, it's part of my. When I look back at, it, I recognize that 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 these, this, these business ideas. Even when I did architecture about people and spaces and homes, it responds to that space. That idea that there are plenty of people detached away from the things that that they either love or gives them a place of um, strength and so so when I look back at it that, that there were important things to me that that helped me in that space one was the friendships I made here um, one was you know joining the volleyball team or the cricket team Uh, one was going to a church and 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 getting that sort of family environment back again being invited to sunday lunch had a had a huge impact on my life you know um to be just be to even to my nutrition levels i think at that (laughs) point um so loneliness is 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 a common theme when i look at you know what we're doing now etc and that's that's a dark space and i think that's a dark space for a lot of people That 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 when, they, when they're when they just left to themselves and by themselves. And some of it, well, most of it nowadays are, tends to be self-induced, I think, um, just with the way we communicate or not communicate. But um, we've also lost those places to, to, to re-engage. So I, I definitely say, I mean, my first year, again, there was an earthquake in India, uh, quite a bad one. And I spent three days on the phone trying to find out if my family were alive. And it, you, you realize then, you know, that, wow, you are on your own, you know. Um, yeah, uh, my parents and my brothers and sisters were, were in this, it was 30 miles from the epicenter and um, 40,000 people died. And you're like, and then three days later, you just suddenly get this little distorted voice from your dad saying, hey, you know, the call goes through and you're like, you know, relief. Um, and yeah, so important marker, an important marker, definitely. Um, this idea of loneliness. Yeah. Um, Thank you for sharing that. mm mm-hmm.
0: Um, You touched on technology just a moment ago, and we know that technology has changed our professional and Mm -hmm. personal lives dramatically over the past 30 years. Dramatically. Mm -hmm. Um, Does that worry you or does it excite you for the future?
1: I think it excites me. It excites me because, um, you know, it's interesting because I suppose what we're actually talking about is the speed of technology, not technology. I was in India two weeks ago with the surrealness of looking, of going into a mud hut in a village that even Google Maps can't, doesn't, doesn't identify, doesn't have a name on it. And I was there in, in this in this farm. We'd opened up a community building there. Um, and to look at a mud hut with a satellite dish above it and the farmer using his mobile phone. You know, um, you look at it and go, well, that's that's just a surreal image. <laughs> doesn't sit in our narrative of what we did aside as development this is about people adapting to what's there and I think that's why technology is an adaptive process we are we are intuitive and technology is part of our DNA we look to resolve a problem and and so I don't think we should be scared of that I think what we're scared about is is the speed of things that are happening and our, our discomfort with that speed because we're going can can we control this and and I think our resistance tends to be when we reach that place where so you got when I look at my four-year-old, you know, he's on his iPad, no issue, you know, go straight in. And this, guy, he, we've just adopted him. He's from Kenya, and, and and you know, a year ago he couldn't speak English, you know. And so you can't sort of say, well, that's terrible for him. <laughs> that's an exciting thing. He's intuitive, he's moving. What, what we, where we, uh, the issue we have to come across is is recognizing a, a technology as a tool. Not the context. And do you think? Yeah. We, do you think we?
0: There's too much worry about content, context, and so on, as opposed I, I, to the. I
1: mean, we're responding. That's part of the. You know, it'll it'll, <laughs> ironically, it'll probably generate more technology, <laughs> as we try to manage technology. You know, it's that's because that's that's the thing. It's a it's a strange paradox. We can't deny it. And and for whether it's the first tool to to whatever is going to come up next is, is uh, you know, when you talk about medical technology, are we going to deny ourselves the ability to heal ourselves better? We're not, you know, because we're going to be excited about that. I read even yesterday that they're so close to an Alzheimer's um, uh, cure or response. You think, well, why wouldn't we be excited about that? Where where we've got to address ourselves is what we're losing in that process, Whether the technology, like, for example, communication, we have the means to communicate in fantastic ways, but we're not actually communicating. You know, when I looked at what I... uh, We created culture, for example, in in business environments where there's all this information, and we're doubling and tripling our information, but we're actually not informing anyone. And and so what we've got to engage with is... It's how this, we realize, I mean, when I look at my sons, one of the things I'm conscious of them is that there's too much information for them, so they don't learn anything. They essentially, they create an index, so they just need to know how to get onto Google to resolve the problem. They don't need to know the problem resolution. So the other day I was trying to show them how to repair a bicycle wheel, you know, and just, because that's what I learned, you know, saying I'm going to teach you how to... Uh, and they're like, fine, Dad, but we'll just Google it, and someone will YouTube the thing, and then we'll know exactly what to do. So I said, that's great, but your problem is going to be when we have a power cut, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's they've never had a power cut. Why would that be an issue for us? It was a power. You know? So it's what we've created is an indexing culture that they they need to be aware of actually how the dumbing down of their of their information, but also. But at the same time, they've got this platform, this world that they can get to. Um, I, mean, I always say that my concern with Google, for example, is we are, we're allowing an algorithm to dictate our knowledge base. So, for example, when we do a, a web search for something, we look at page one. No one page two, maybe, <laughs> you may look. It says there's 17,000 pages Google has found. Who looks at page five, six, seven? Really, you've never done it. But the reality is the truth of our, the answer to our question may be sitting in page 19. We'll never go near it because the algorithm has dictated the importance. And I think that is a concern. That is a concern because then we are conditioned. Would you like to
0: um, suggest a book that you think could change somebody's life? <laughs> well,
1: I don't... It's, it's. I've got the book in mind, and and, and it's hard because I, I think it's contextual. Um, I, I don't think there's a universal book. Um, uh, well, certainly there's been book that's been important to me, and that's what I, that I'll share. And and but I I think it's very. I th- I'd caution people to say <clears throat> that a single book or the knowledge... because um, I was I was at an airport well, two weeks ago, and there's. Thousands of self-help books, and you know, people are reading, and everyone's got a bit take of something, and, and it all gives you information. But I think at at a the core, there's a there's a there's an inner you that is actually looking. Uh, what you're looking for in the book is an affirmation of probably what you already know. And um, so, so I mean, I'll put it contextually, and it's contextually to me. And for me, the the book is the Bible. And Now, it's not popular. It's not a not a. Um, uh, common common book that people self-help book that people, the reason I put is, is, is my world view is that there are three questions that we are all trying to answer regardless of what we do, what the business is what, 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 and, and the three questions are simply, who am I where do I belong and what is my purpose and those three questions I think are universal to all of us and the reality is we try to answer those questions in whatever way possible whether we admit it or not whether it's it's the ambition of of success whether it's money whether it's uh, uh, whether it's women whether it's philosophy whether it's you know knowledge we we're trying to find out who am i where do i belong what is my purpose and the, 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 the what i've discovered is people will find that those answers the answers that they have May evolve through their life, and secondly, that it'll get tested through their lives. So, people who place, for example, um, if they say my 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 purpose is to whatever earn a million dollars or whatever, when they've reached that point, they're going to have to test that question again. They're going to have to; it's going to need to be adjusted. So that when you talk about books, for me, it's that idea that when I look at the Bible. It's it's my approach of saying who you know where am I and who am I and what is my purpose and and into that sits a lot of my aspirations. Um, so yeah, it's not, not a normal answer, I'm sure. Two more questions uh-huh. before we get to your your song choice, Sandeep. Um,
0: what would you like your legacy to be? <laughs> it,
1: you know, it it's a. It, it, uh, I'd probably come about the other way as in if people were saying what's my life motto I suppose um and I'm sharing it with my my team because I asked them all about their life mottos I said what's the one thing that you're, where you would say you want your your theme to be about and and mine is mine distills down to a very to simply this that that I want to leave the I want to leave the world better than I found it and that's what it distills down to. When I look at all the things I do and the things I'm passionate about, that that I, I came across a world that that I was unhappy with, and I've tried to influence it to leave it better than I found it. So, so that that legacy I would hope is is what I would leave. You know that that something I've done, some place, some space we created, or. Um, and and you know the nice thing about architecture for example is that you actually have physical things you leave behind and that's you know an obvious thing legacy that's great but actually the greatest the greatest one is is about human wealth uh, we talked about this in the car that that really we we talk about financial wealth but that's that's a strange ambiguous marker um human wealth is probably the biggest um most valuable thing, because you're leaving legacies in people's lives. You're leaving, you know, because they're being adjusted and like talk about leadership and influence, they're being adjusted to see the world slightly differently. That that as their different views have come in, that you're able to direct people to say, actually, factor this in. How do you respond to this issue? Um, and if I, if I have managed to do that, whether it's one person or 10, then I'd be a content man. And what about scotland what What do you love about this country and and the people everything <laughs> I had no ambition of staying here. I love this country um and it's great to um recognize how it's it's always sort of punched above its weight and and that's that's been a great thing and a healthy thing and i think there's different reasons for it um if, if I'm cautious about scotland it's it's the idea that Scots have this sort of glass ceiling to their ambition. And it's I don't know I don't know why that is. It's just it seems to be this this um place that people appreciate success. Um but there's always a layer. You know, once you reach a point, then they don't appreciate it anymore. And and I think that's unfortunate. And I think it's part of why Scots have done round extremely well around the world. You know, once they've been released into a place where there was no ceiling. Uh, they've thrived and they've got a great legacy they leave behind Whereas in this country they don't you know and i um and i don't know whether it's because the the, the ones who weren't ambitious stayed. <laughs> uh, that's harsh but but what i love about this country is it's it's there the opportunities are there you've got you've got a small country you've got, you got um a, a really strong identity a really strong identity which is which is um people, people are passionate about mm-hmm. um and and in that identity, um, lies lies all this sort of resource and ambition that that um I love the fact, you know, yesterday I was speaking to a chocolatier from from the Borders who came into the coffee shop and I'm like and and they do stuff for I think British Airways or something. And then it's like, how cool is that? Just just that scale. It's not about this you don't have to be Apple. You don't have to be ridiculous you don't have to be China, you know? Um you just have to be relevant. <laughs> And and I talk about relevance a lot in in, in the business. about i saying, you know, do it well, do it, influence the world and whatever the product is, and and uh, um, and and that in you know, when I look at DC. Talk, I have read Beano comics in India, I read Buster and all those things, and I'm thinking that's that came out of this little town, you know, and and that's that's something to be proud of, but also not something to hang on to. There's another, I think, there's another generation and a wave to come yet, um, and it maybe. <laughs> maybe foreigners like me um but I'm I'm assimilated, assimilated you know my my um uh, uh, I've I've committed my life to this country so so that, you know I'm
0: I'm proud of it yeah <laughs> Sandeep Salins it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you for the past half an hour or so. Um this is the part of the program when we ask you to talk about this. I suppose it's a little bit like the book. <laughs> it's Like where do we start you know book music. Um but but tell me a little bit about your choice of song um and then announce it to the world and then we'll we'll play out with it.
1: Um it's it, it was a hard when you asked me what song because it's most things in life my life it's only about collections you know about places but I, you had to you had to choose and it came out and i said this can i play this album because this album is i think what made what drew me um when i was an indian i heard it for the first time i was like wow you know uh took me to places that i thought well, it, it resonated you know and and the whole album and i wish you know that's why i still listen to albums because to me that's a piece that 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 you it's a book that you're reading and and in in it were a whole series of songs, and I come this song. I've, I've always been drawn to it. It's the one song I play on my guitar or on the piano because it's it takes me to a space that's that's uh, meaningful, and and it's it's about. It, I mean, it's 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 a very melancholy song, um, but it's about about choices, you know, and and I think that's where it takes me. It takes me about about this idea, this this person he's writing about, you know, struggling. I think it's a drug addiction that that's struggling with in the song, but. But it's about why, what their choices, um, and there's a line in it. It says, "Sweet the sin, bitter the taste that leaves in my mouth." You know, there's a there's, that's a beautiful. It always draws me to it about the consequences of our choices and and the redemption that we seek in that. And and so yeah, so that's why I love the song, and it it just brings me to good uh, a rich space every time I listen to it. Yeah, and and like I said, I've, I've got it on tape. <laughs> That's how old it is.
0: <laughs> well, I'll let you. I'll let you do the uh, the the old radio DJ announcing, and uh, <laughs> you can announce the song.
1: Well, from the album Joshua Tree by U two, um, the song is Running to Standstill. <laughs>
2: From the poison stream Then I floated Running to stand
0: Scotland podcast sponsored by Ogilvy Ross was produced by Chris Kidd for Guardian Studios and GRC.